this song They call him Jesus He came to love He
In this time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken generation When all is dark you help us see There is only one salvation We believe We believe We believe in God the Father We believe in Jesus Christ We believe in the Holy Spirit And He's given us new life We believe in the crucifixion We believe that He conquered death We believe in the resurrection And He's coming back again We believe So
reason we wanted to sit here and listen to those songs together is because that's what Jim did every Sunday morning in preparation for coming to church. So welcome to church. And on behalf of the Christie family, thank you for taking the time. Some of you have driven a long way. Some of us have flown a long ways to be here. We come together because of a particular man that had significant impact um, on many of us. And um, today is a day to honor him, but ultimately we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that's where Jim is right now, hanging out with Jesus. And we're celebrating today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, it's all about you today, who you are, what you have done, what you, what, what you accomplished in and through Jim's life, and how he impacted us and ultimately what you have and are accomplishing in our lives. We just park ourselves in your presence today. We open up our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you want to accomplish in us or even through us. It's in the name of Jesus it all happens. Amen and amen. Pastor Ron. Good morning and welcome. It's uh, a joy and an honor to be here today, as I know it is for you as well. And um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share just a little bit in this opportunity as Jim has invested and shared so much in my life as I know he has in yours as well. As the family was gathering together down the hall here, uh, Pastor Brian snuck in and he said it sounds like a family reunion in there uh, it's a full house and indeed it it is and uh, what a joy it is to gather together to pay respects and to show our love and appreciation for the Christie family and uh, so I want to say thank you on behalf of the family for being here today because your physical presence absolutely will bring comfort in this day but most certainly in the days ahead as well. So thank you for being here. The fullness of hope that Jim lived for and demonstrated is his. And he is celebrating today, and that has been the source of my comfort, as I'm sure it has been for us as well. And I've taken moments to contemplate that a bit, as I just imagine that his endless curiosities are finding fulfillment in these days, and uh, with the many theological conversations that we've had together, I have no doubt that Jim is engaging in some pretty significant questioning of some of our biblical heroes in these days, and, uh, and I believe that he's finding that. I believe his reunions are profound. Uh, we can only imagine 
and celebrate that moment when our appointed time arrives and certainly worship as we've just engaged in. Uh, we were listening, but we were worshiping as well, weren't we? As we discover where our hope truly lies. And uh, undoubtedly, the worship is something that we can only imagine until our time to be reunited with Jim. And so the comfort that I find today, and I certainly want to offer to you as well, is that Jim is with our Savior, and our Savior is with us. And so we are not alone today. James Thomas Christie, 85, of Divide, Colorado, passed away Thursday, August 18, 2022, at home. His wife of 60 years, Velma Christie, was by his side. He was born on December 3rd. 1936 in Lovingworth, Kansas, the 11th of 12 children to Peter and Francis Grace Christie. His father immigrated from Denmark and was a proud United States Army veteran with service in the First World War. James, or Jim, as he is known by most, graduated from Lovingworth High School and knew early that God had called him to minister to others. He attended the Nazarene Church at Levingworth, which led him to attend Bethany Nazarene College in Bethany, Oklahoma, where he received a Bachelor of Arts in Theology. After college, he attended the Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, to further pursue his calling to become an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. While at seminary, he supplemented his income with part-time work as a courier for the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He liked to tell stories of walking down the street with million-dollar checks in his coat pocket saying that no one would ever expect that he had even one dollar. <laughs> and isn't that Jim? No doubt about it. Oh, my. Years later, he received his doctoral degree from the Nazarene Theological Seminary, the first to do so, and continued education and postdoctoral studies at Iliff Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. Well, at Nazarene Theological Seminary, Jim served his first assignment in pastoral ministry in Drexel, Missouri. During his tenure at Drexel, he was ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene, officially becoming Reverend Jim Christie. Following his, this assignment, Reverend Christie took responsibility for pastoring the Nazarene Church in Kimball, Nebraska. Well, in Kimball, a colleague, Reverend Norman Bloom, introduced him to a charming, very attractive, nursing student from Hastings, Nebraska. After a careful courtship of over a year, on July 27, 1962, Reverend Christie married the love of his life, Velma June Snodgrass, in Hastings, Nebraska. Reverend and Mrs. Christie embarked on a life of ministry that would span 60 years, spending seven years as a pastor in Rochester, Minnesota, followed by 26 years in Greeley, Colorado. He continued his service as an administrator in the Church of the Nazarene in Colorado until he retired in Divide, Colorado. He was a member of the Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. His humble and faithful service was an inspiration to so many people and reached across the spectrum of faith. He blended a sharp intellect with a selfless sense of reality to make a meaningful difference in countless lives. Jim is survived by his wife, Thelma, two sons, James Christie Jr. and Gregory Christie, two daughters-in-law, Lisa Christie and Kendra Christie, and five grandchildren, Zachary, Allison, 
Isaac, Nicholas, and Sarah. I was uh, working in my home office when I received a text from Jim Christie's cell phone. It captured my attention, and I was anxious to hear from him as the last we had corresponded, he and Velma had planned to come and worship with us in uh, Falcon uh, here in Colorado, and uh, we were planning to go to, to lunch together following worship that Sunday. And um, so I was anxious to, to hear from him as he had told me the day before that unfortunately he was having some health concerns and would have to postpone our gathering together. And so the text that was sent from Jim's cell phone uh, when I saw it, really alerted me, and, and uh, I immediately began to read the words, and it was not from Jim, but from his son Gregory, and Greg had informed me of the news, and uh, much like probably it hit you, it hit me right in the chest. I was uh, shocked for several days, and then one evening, I finally intentionally sat down to begin processing and I knew that I needed to begin that process if I were going to be at all prepared for today. And the best preparation I have for today is every pocket I could find, even in these skinny pants, are full of tissues. So that's, that's about the best I have today. And I shared with Velma and the family that uh, this would be a day otherwise that I would be very happy to sit where you are sitting to receive from Pastor Brian. And I've been praying for him and his ministry to us today as I certainly needed as well. But I began to process it knowing that I would need to be somewhat prepared. And, um, and as I was uh, preparing, I was uh, grieving. And as I uh, was upset and just thinking about things, uh, our sons came upstairs and found me there and said, Daddy, what's, what's wrong? And I said, Buddies, I'm, I'm just missing my friend. And uh, as children often do, they can put some perspective on things. And uh, my youngest said to me, Daddy, he's the guy that gave us the Susan B. Anthony coins and a Nutter Butter snack cookie. And, <laughs> and uh, I responded much the same way. I knew that the best cookies, of course, were Velma's homemade cookies, but the Nutter Butters were good, too. Uh, my son's were always the recipients of good gifts from Jim. Uh, as probably many of the children in this church, his home church were, and others who knew him well as well, he cared for us very, very well. But in their joy and remembering the goodness of Jim to them, they reminded me of the incredible gifts that Jim has bestowed into my life. Uh, Velma and the family wanted me to share a little bit about the bond that Jim and I uniquely had and the unique gift of Jim's friendship and the pastoral ministry that he undoubtedly uh, has shared with so many in this room has been a significant blessing uh, to us. And my assumption is that's why we are here or watching online today because Jim has absolutely made a significant impact uh, in our lives. We know Jesus better because of Jim Christie, and uh, that certainly is my story. Jim and I had a connection rather early on. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the catalyst of our friendship uh, was built upon, 
but I have some assumptions on that. We both shared a passion and a mission for effectively reaching our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is something that was incredibly important to Jim Christie. He was constantly innovating, and, and in his intellectual curiosity, he was constantly looking for ways. How do we reach our culture with the truth that has set us free? And that was always a topic of conversation between us, but we talked about everything. Uh, we talked about politics. Uh, we talked about history. We talked about theology, certainly. We talked about cars, uh, maybe because I drove that conversation, but he, he did too. Uh, we both shared that in common. Uh, we talked about education a lot, and we talked about family. And in our more recent conversations, Jim would share in incredible detail uh, the incredible happenings of one of the most recent family weddings. And my guess is you probably have heard some of those details as well. They are pretty remarkable, and I kept thinking to myself, why wasn't I invited? Uh, to this incredible event, but he, uh, he would spend time sharing, and he, he was so astute to every little detail and wanted to share all about that with me. But the bond between us began with what was one of the most difficult times in my life and ministry. Uh, my trust was deeply broken, and I had isolated myself as a protection mechanism from even very trusted people in my life. Uh, people would try to call and I would just ignore the calls and um, I was just trying to process and deal with uh, the challenges that had come my way. But the moment that Jim Christie's name appeared on my phone, it hit me right in the chest, just as it did when I heard the news and uh, I answered the phone. And uh, first thing he said to me, in his very calm, soft voice, his pastor, how are you? And I'll never forget the first thing I said to him as I said, Jim, I don't know what you've heard, but if you don't want to be my friend anymore, I understand. From that moment on, Jim proved his friendship and what the true measure of friendship really is. And through Jim's trustworthy relationship, the healing that only God could bring for me and my family began to bring about the blessings that only God could bring through the brokenness of my faith in God, my faith in God's church, my faith in God's people. The gentle, sincere, Christ-centered ministry of Jim in my life is a gift that I will forever cherish. And I know that many of you feel the very same way about our dear brother in the Lord. Jim and Velma have earned and hold an incredibly important place in my heart. Much like my own parents, they celebrated uh, with me and my family. They celebrated successes. They celebrated with my children, their sports accomplishments, their academic accomplishments. And what an incredible blessing that has been. When they would see me on TV, the next day, Jim would call and say, oh, we were so excited to see you, and I knew they were lying. Nobody was excited to see me on television. There's got to be something better on. Of course, these days, who knows? Um, anytime we would see the fulfillment of God's blessings and uh, the fruition of coming uh, together and all the good things God was doing, Jim 
was one of the very first to celebrate that with us. I remember um, how excited Jim was about our partnership with Hillsdale College and the start of our new school. And uh, he, he was just always excited to talk about that. And I remember when we built our new building, um, we had told him about it, and he and Velma came to worship with us. And uh, we were driving by because I don't think we had enough hard hats. We hadn't quite opened the building or something. And Jim stopped his car in the middle of the road and got out and took photographs of the building. It's <laughs> like, what is he doing? I thought something was wrong. And I got out and I said, Jim, you know, we can go to a safer location where you can get some photographs, and I'll walk you right into the place if you want to see it. But he was just so excited to see the good things that God was doing in our life. Jim loved me as Jesus loves me. And when I think about it, he was patient with me and genuinely invested in my life in a way that I had not really ever experienced before. I miss my friend terribly, and I'm sure that you do as well. But when I think about the Nutter Butter cookie snacks and all the other divinely inspired gifts that Jim has given to me, the only way that I could ever make good on the investment that Jim has made in my life is to love everyone as Jesus loves them. To forgive others as Jesus forgives. To celebrate with others as Jesus celebrates. And to continue to innovate and find effective ways to reach my next door neighbors, the people that I work with, the people even in our churches with the truth of the gospel that sets us free. And that's my commitment to repay the blessings that Jim has so generously and graciously invested into my life. A quick story about Jim that speaks a little bit to our relationship and his personality. Uh, we were together talking about any number of things, and uh, I remember this one particular time. I was complaining about some uh, crazy church folk. Now, before you get worried about this, no other pastor does that. So no pastor is talking about you with anybody else. There's no doubt about it. But Jim and I, uh, you don't have to laugh nervously. I guarantee that does not happen. It's uh, just with me. But Jim and I had a relationship of trust. And, uh, and I knew I could, I could just be real. And so I was, I was telling him about this crazy situation or whatever it might have been. And I don't really remember the situation. It could have been almost anything. And, um, and so I, I was kind of waiting for him to, to pipe in and, and say something. And in his wisdom and brilliant pastoral care and ministry intellect, he said to me, Pastor, you love your people. You give them hope. You offer them second, third, and infinite chances that they do not deserve. And they know that no one else will give them that opportunity. And as a result, you will always have broken people in your ministry. And I sat and I thought about that for a little while. And I said, so, Jim, what you're telling me is, I can never escape the crazy. And, uh, <laughs> and Jim, Jim laughed in his soft and jubilant way. And uh, I realized that he was right. 
the ministry that the Lord has called us to is not always easy. And Jim embraced that ministry. He took it very seriously. He, um, he wasn't a one prayer and done. He was a loving, caring relationship that would never go away. And Jim proved his faithfulness and the faithfulness of the Lord through it as well. So for all who have suffered a hardship, an injustice, a loss that Jim lovingly came alongside of you and undoubtedly have a very special bond with Jim as a result, as a friend and a pastor. In our sadness, we celebrate the life of a person who makes us all better people. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Jim clearly was, we too can love as Jesus loves, celebrate accomplishments and victories with those around us, and always seek to draw people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Any number of scriptures I could have brought before you today that the Lord has spoken to my heart with through um, my, uh, my grief, but um, John 13, verse 34 and 35, uh, was one that I felt would be appropriate. Jesus speaking to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. Doesn't sound like a new command, but then it becomes one as Jesus continues, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jim Christie revealed the beauty of a sanctified life, of one truly set apart for the Lord's purposes over and above his own agenda and his own purposes. Jim loved as Jesus loves, and he showed us a way that we too can be about the reconciliation that only the Lord can bring about, and we too can discover the healing and blessing that the Lord has prepared for us even in this day. And so even with a very heavy heart today, I celebrate that I have been blessed by Jim as a friend, just as we all have as well, and we in that have a responsibility. We have an obligation. Let's make good on the investment that Jim has made in our life by loving others as the Lord has commanded. God bless you.
Good morning. I'm Jamie Christie. Um, I'm the oldest son of Jim Christie. And I just wanted to uh, spend a little time sharing some um, 
prospectus from you. It, you know, it's sort of a dangerous thing to try to come up in the middle of a bunch of preachers because they do this for a living, <laughs> but I'll do my best. Um, my dad was a quirky guy, right? He was a quirky dude. And um, he was, uh, he, he, he sort of had his own um, drum that he marched to. He would be thrilled to see all of these people here talking about him. He would love this. Um, and and we, we are so grateful that you're here. So on behalf of the family, like others have said, thank you for taking the time to be here and to join us this morning. I don't have a lot to say. What I want to do, though, is um, my, my dad and I used to talk about um, sort of the processes of being a preacher, the processes of ministry. And we talked about funerals. And uh, he would always say that funerals are not for the dead. They're for the living. And that kind of means us. I think we're all alive, right? So this funeral today is for us. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about us as, as a group. And in the context of my dad, I don't know if you can see it. There's a picture at the front of the church here. And if you're online, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a, it, this is a family photo. Um, I don't know if you've had family photos, but you never wake up and you, you say, it is family picture day, I'm excited, right? So this is, uh, the, the, when this picture was taken, it was two degrees outside. We had all the family in town. My mom had said, um, with all the kids here, we're going to have a family photo. Jim, that's what she called him. She said, Jim, I need you to make sure that we get this picture taken. So he hired the photographer. They picked the location. We all got ready. You know how that sort of chaos is. Everybody's scrambling to get ready. The photo had a theme. You know, everybody was had their instructions on what to wear. We get to the location, different cars. We all arrive lining them all up, stand this way, do this, and we're all getting ready to take the photo. And my dad walks in, well, it's cold. He puts his jacket on and he comes in. And what you can't see in the photo, it's a beautiful photo of our family. What you can't see are the little word clouds above everybody's heads. Let's <laughs> say, what is he wearing? Because <laughs> the theme of the photo was you wear black. And if you could see the picture, you would see that everybody's wearing black except for my dad, who's wearing a brown coat. He was cold. That's the coat that he had. So he took that picture. We took that picture. We laugh about that. But what a, what a cool way to characterize who my dad was. He had his own rules. He had his own beat in his head. And he had his own thing that he wanted to, to his own way of getting things across. And I, and I just want to talk for just a second. The people, that there was a particular group of people that he cared a ton about. And those are those of you that are in the pastoral ministry. Those of you that are pastors, lay leaders, worship leaders, spouses. He, he had a special um, purpose in his, in his life to understand you and to help you do your work. And it didn't matter if you were leading a thousand people or 10 people. I think he almost cared more that you led 10 people 
um, because he knew how hard it was to do that ministry. And what I would encourage all of you that are in that role to do is to be mindful of that brown coat. Do it your way. It's the purpose. It's not the process. Don't be constrained by those rules. Be who you are. Be the guy at Costco that goes to every sample spot and eats everything. There's no sign that says take one. So just take all that you want. Be that person and enjoy that perspective. But, but put your own stamp on it. Do your own thing and make a difference and build the kingdom of God. So I'm Greg. I'm the baby of the family. Um, and my dad was a lot of things. To most of you out here, pastor, teacher, mentor, colleague, friend. To me, he was dad. <laughs> and as Jamie said, he was a quirky dad. I remember when we were younger, I learned how to pray really hard because whenever we did anything wrong, we would be sent to our room and inevitably we would be down on our knees in front of our bed praying that it was our dad that came through that door and not our mom. <laughs> mom definitely believed in the Old Testament. Dad, in his quirky nature, wanted to talk to us and correct us. We loved those lectures. Um, and as we grew up, we learned that Dad was wholly dedicated to the church. He was passionate about his job. He was passionate about the people he served. I think at most of the time, my dad was more passionate about, as Pastor Ronnie said, the troublesome people than he was. He, but our world revolved around the church. But more so than that, my mom and my dad poured themselves into us. We weren't atypical PKs. We were taught early on to march to our own beat. We were taught early on that it doesn't matter what people say or what people think. What mattered was your relationship with Jesus. Dad's curiosity drove me nuts as he got older. As I grew up, like most kids, I looked up to my dad. Went to Northwest Nazarene College, got a degree in religion and philosophy. I wanted to be dad. Went to the Nazarene Theological Seminary. And I think my dad was grateful that the Lord intervened. The seminary asked me to leave. Um, apparently my drum was a little different. <laughs> then I had to go get a job. Um, but as I went to work, as I got a job, I moved up to Alaska, um, started working in the oil fields. 
And one of the most annoying things is when you're living in Alaska before cell service, phone calls were expensive, and Dad was curious. And he would keep wanting to drill down to the details. You'd kind of gloss over what you were doing, and he didn't quite understand it, so he'd keep drilling down, and you're like, Dad, I'm paying for this call. I'm paying for this call. Okay, call back, collect. Um, As I got older, as I did more, our phone calls were always him digging down, wanting to know more about what I was doing, more about what I was involved in, because he wanted to know. He cared. And the hardest part, as, as mom and dad got older, up here in Divide, when they lived in Divide, phone service, amazing in Divide. Um, and my dad had the habit of putting you on speakerphone and then doing this. Um, and he would wander around the house with the phone still on his desk, still talking to you. And you're like, I can't hear you. Um, I think ultimately what I got from my father, I actually got from my father and my mother. I learned what love is. I learned about a couple who could pour themselves into what they do for a living, pour themselves into their family. But more so than that, they can pour themselves into each other. And the number one thing in their marriage, and as I strive in mine, is that there was one thing that my dad put over my mom. And that was Jesus. And as Jamie said, and others have said, on behalf of our family, thank you for making a testimony to who my dad was. Thank you. So I can count on one hand the men that have poured into my life as mentors. And I've lost two of them this year. Um, Howard Oliver and, and now Jim. And man, I've had a lot of anxiety about standing here before you today because it's a big hole um, when you're when a significant cheerleader is gone and I, I, I believe that this isn't a John Maxwell quote but I think it should be um, that every good leader needs a faithful cheerleader I think that should be the 22nd irrefutable law of leadership so whoever knows John, go ahead and let him know that. But, but Jim was that for me. I, was, I had the privilege of being his pastor for 15 years. Before that, though, before I was up here, uh, we were youth pastors in Colorado Springs at Trinity. And every year, the youth pastors would get together for a retreat at Golden Bell. And this one particular year, 
we invited Jim to join us because what we did was we filled out um, these personality profiles and um, he had the results of those and what he was going to do was sit down with us and he was going to talk to us about us. Now I don't remember what particular personality profile it was. But I do remember that we brought in our results and we were looking at each other's results and, and everybody else had a significant strength. They had a, a peak in, in a particular area, but I did not. Mine was flat across. Everything was exactly the same. And we didn't understand. I thought maybe I had cheated on the test or... I had failed the test somehow. I, I didn't understand. I mean, I didn't understand what I was looking at, and and so that was that's that was my reality. And and Jen comes in and and he sits down with us. We're in a circle, and he starts going around the circle one by one. And it was deep. It was profound. He was making dudes cry. I mean, he was he was gutting them and telling them things about them that that they didn't even know about themselves and here's why you do this and here's why you say this and here's why you react this way and and it was amazing and he's going around one by one each person getting you know solid 20 minutes of of his intense insight into their lives and then he got to me and he said all the years that I've done this, all the thousands of quizzes that I've reviewed, I've only known one other person in my whole life like you. And she was this lady executive in New York City that worked on Wall Street from Monday through Friday, and then on the weekends, she would work at a dude ranch. And I was like, No, 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 no. I want tears, all right? I want deep, I want profound, gut me. What are we talking about here? And he's like, and so he started doing his laugh, right? His shoulders. And he said, well, basically what I'm saying is, you're a chameleon. And I was like, what? What? And his only explanation for me, I mean, everybody else got 20 minutes, I got about three and a half. And, and, he, and he said, basically, the truth about you is whatever room you're in, whatever group you're in, you, you fit in. And that's why my lines were flat across. And, and, I, and I thought about it, and I was like, well, that's kind of been true my whole life. That was, that was the first time that I had any kind of real interaction with Jim. Prior to that, he was just the district the white-haired district guy that just kind of was always busy, and we just watched him run around. Um, a couple of years after that, Sarah and I, my wife and I, are standing out here on the sidewalk with Jim, and he hands me the keys to the church and the parsonage, and he said, you're my pastor now. I'm going to love you. I'm going to support you. 
I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be in your corner until you screw it up. I didn't screw it up, and it played out just as he promised. And he became, for me, one of my most important go-to mentors those 15 years. One, just one final story, just so you can understand how, um, how he puts feet to words like that. About 10 years later, uh, we were doing quite well. We, were, we had moved into this facility, and he had started this Thursday morning retired pastors gathering at McDonald's. Every Thursday morning, pretty much, um, some of us, we would get a text on Wednesday from Jim, I'll be at McDonald's tomorrow morning. And so a handful of us, there, there would be sometimes just a few of us, and sometimes upward of seven or eight. And it was rarely serious. It was mostly laughter, and that was thanks to Tim Stearman being there. But it was wonderful. We had, and, and they, they're, they're still meeting, okay? That's, it's still a thing. And this is something that Jim just got going, mainly because we, we, we had a good number of retired ministers in here, and they just they wanted to get together. But a part of it was to kind of support me and, and to encourage me and and so I could just kind of sit with them and, and just soak it up. And so I love it. It was one of my favorite things um, each week. Well, there was this one particular Thursday morning where I, I really believe it was just Jim and I and, and this other guy. I won't name his name. Um, and this other guy was, was talking. It's just He was concerned about the Church of the Nazarene and was... It was just kind of going on and on and on. And, and, he, and he leans forward and he says, well, Jim, man, who's it going to be? Who's, who's, I mean, who's going to be the next guy that, that, that pushes the, the church, the Nazarene, forward? Who, who's it going to be? And Jim just looked at him had this look on his face like, are you kidding me? You, you mean you don't really know? And then he pointed at me. Now listen, I don't know if I believe that that's true, okay? But what I do believe is that that's what a cheerleader looks like. And every good leader needs a cheerleader like that. Someone who just flat out believes in you and who will stand in your corner and just fan into flame what God is doing. That's the kind of man and mentor that he was for me. And honestly, um, is the kind of man and mentor that I want to be myself. I mean, he, so he's on my hand. He's one of five that have poured into me and I, and I get to thinking about this, and I'm like, well, whose hand am I on? Whose hand, who, who would, when they're thinking about their life, and they're thinking about the cheerleaders in their life, whose corner am, am I in? And, and shouldn't this be 
the kind of leader that I should be. After all, it's what he poured into me. Shouldn't I be in the business of pouring into others as well? <laughs> Jim's in heaven today. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if he were given about five minutes to, to step out of heaven and, and stand here and, and, and get the microphone, there'd be a couple of things that he would say. The first one is, okay, stop talking about me. Stop talking about me. And then he would say, folks, heaven is for real. It's real. And it's, and it's awesome and I want you there with me. I think we're, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a, a culture today where um, the idea of going to heaven, is, it's like every, everybody's going to get into heaven. You, you, you can scroll through fa Facebook on, on any given day and somebody's doing a rest in peace, so and so and so and so. Or the one I'm seeing these days is uh, happy birthday in happy heavenly birthday today, so and so and so and so. And, and it's people that just lived very worldly, non-Christian lives. And because and there's a, there's a mentality today that when you die, you automatically go to heaven. That, that's where people who die just, just go. And I don't know who started perpetuating that or, or, or why it still gets getting passed around. Maybe partly because one of the things that gets communicated is that God is love. God loves everybody. Jesus loves everyone. You know what? That is actually very true. Jesus loves everyone. But Jesus does not lead everyone. Let me say that again. Jesus loves everyone, but Jesus does not lead everyone. You see, followers of Jesus are those that get to go to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to me, no one comes to me, or no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life just just because we die doesn't mean we go to heaven how did you live your life who did you follow if you're a follower of jesus you're going to heaven we we're here today with with absolute certainty that this guy that we've been honoring today jim is in heaven why because he was a follower of jesus period. We know this. We experienced this. We, we, um, we saw it. We saw all the fruits in his life that reflected that truth. Is that true about you? Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you 
know for certain that if today was your last day on earth, that eternity for you would be in heaven. Because believe me when I say this, you are an eternal being. There is no rest in peace. I don't know where that concept came from. But you're an, you're an eternal being. And when this season of life comes to an end for you, you are going to transfer into the next eternity phase of existence. And there's only two possibilities. One that goes this way and one that goes this way. One that's celebration and joy and one that's eternal suffering and torment. I don't know about you, but I don't want any part of eternal suffering and torment. I've, I've had enough of that on earth. I don't need that for eternity. So I'm in. I want eternity in heaven with Jesus, the one that created me, the one that changed me, called me. How about you? I mean, if I were to ask you today, do you have that confidence? Would you be able to shoot your hand up immediately and say yes? Or would you be unsure? Because if, if you have any kind of uncertainty about that, understand that Scripture makes it quite clear that you can have full assurance that you'll spend eternity with Jesus. You don't have to question it, doubt it, struggle with it. He's already paid the price for you. The, 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 the price has been paid. So it's really just about you coming into agreement with that, saying, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. You are Him. So, I think I, sh I need to share this as well. When I, um, when I knew that I was going to be here today, and then I knew that my brother Ronnie was going to be here today. The Holy Spirit just came heavy on me. Because I'd been harboring some things. So this is me being trans. This is me being in confessional mode to my brothers and my sisters in this room. I've been harboring some things for a long time. Ronnie and I hadn't communicated in well over a decade, I think. And I knew what I had to do. I knew that I had to make that right. I knew that I had to take a hard step forward and reach out and apologize and ask for forgiveness 
for my unchristlike feelings that he didn't even know existed in me. And I did. And he forgave me because that's what Christ-like people do. See, I think there's there might be some people in here that maybe have been on the fence about whether or not they're going to follow Jesus, but there might be more people in this room that have unfinished business with other people in this room. You might be thinking of some somebody that you've been harboring hard feelings toward and you just haven't had the guts to do anything about it. And you're like, why is he talking about this in this place at this time, in this scene? It's because I reached out to this family and I just said, isn't it just like Jim that even after his passing, he would be a catalyst for bringing healing and reconciliation? Followers of Jesus, are you following Jesus? We talk a lot about leadership, and even when we're talking about a guy like Jim, we'll talk a lot about leadership. We sometimes skirt the issue of followership. Are you truly following Jesus? There might be some of us today that need to make some kind of a move. And I'm not sure that I've ever done this at a funeral before. But the truth is, this feels far more like a church service to me. And perhaps this would be the most fitting way to honor Jim's legacy. But I just, I just think it... I'm just wondering if maybe we should allow ourselves some, some time to respond and pray. We have some altars here that are, that are set aside for the purpose of, of just kneeling and, and, and doing business with God. So I'm wondering if, if maybe there's anybody that, that wants to seek after God this morning. Maybe you're a person that's been on the fence about who Jesus is and, and about this whole concept of heaven. Maybe you're a person that has, um, you've, been, you've been struggling spiritually, you've been struggling with things. You're just, you, you just know in your heart and your spirit and your soul right now that things aren't just quite right. And you just don't want to let another moment go by without making it, allowing it to become right. The healing hands of Jesus are, are here right now. Maybe. Maybe you need to make a move towards someone today and just offer some forgiveness or ask for it. And so I just, I, I think if, if you'd bow your heads and just a, a position of 
openness and responsiveness. You can pray right there where you are. Of course you can. But perhaps there are some or others who, who need to make a move forward. You just need to do some business with God. The, the altars are, are open for you. we have lots of ministers in this room I just think the ministers you could maybe come around some of those that are praying um, let's just let's, let's serve those that are seeking right now maybe the rest of us just reach out your hand and pray over those that are that are are seeking or just allow the spirit of god to do in you what he wants to accomplish in you Jesus, we <clears throat> we're overwhelmed by who you are. We're overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy. The infinite love that you're just pouring out. And we're all on a journey. a spiritual journey and, and, and we're making our way towards this amazing place called heaven, this place that Jim is experiencing in its fullness right now and it it um, boy, it really affects Holy Spirit, it, it affects the way we grieve because it's it's shrouded in, in um, hope and joy because today is not goodbye it's see you soon it's see you later it's um, see you again but as 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 Jamie said earlier this this time together really is is far more about us and about what's happening in our lives now our our journey is, is still happening and and I'm just I'm just asking Holy Spirit that that you will empower us and, and equip us to be the men and women that you have and are creating us to be accomplish your transformational work in us causing us to be better humans 
bringing healing to our relationships, those that are strained or even broken. Healing our bodies, our hearts and our minds. Oh, we are overwhelmed just sitting in your presence right now. And we thank you for the assurance that we have that being followers of you gives us this amazing hope of eternity in heaven with you. And it's in the name of Jesus we all pray. Amen. So, just a couple of last, last things. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim, for loving me, supporting me, praying for me, and showing me how to be a good pastor. And thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me and showing me how to be a good human. I love you both. Google says that the definition for benediction is a short invocation at the end. That's what I get to do. Short invocation at the end. If you would, let's stand together. And may I ask you to remain standing for a moment following the short invocation at the end so that I can give you some instruction follow before you are dismissed almighty God how do we say thank you to you for the life that we have celebrated today how do we say thank you to you for the fellowship that exists within this church much of it probably um, as a result of work that Jim did. How do we say thank you to you for a friend that would put his arm around us and encourage us? How do we say thank you to you but to give you praise for you are worthy. May your presence, your spirit rest upon this wonderful family and those who found their encouragement in Jim. Father, bless us as we go from this place. In a few moments, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Food has been prepared, and if you would like to stay, we would encourage you to. As you uh, probably discovered as you walked in, back at the back, there are some tables. There are sandwiches there for you. The instructions are to get a plate, walk down. Well, you're church people. You know what happens. You know how to do this. And then find a seat and sit and visit with some friends and enjoy your time together. We want to invite the family to go first, please. Because if you don't, we'll be standing right in front of you.
let me be about the fourth to thank you for coming today. And once the family has made their way to the table, you can follow them, or there's a table on this side. And if you go that direction, you might get in first. So God bless you. Thank you for coming today. You are dismissed.